Welcome to the Lounge. Today I have on the show Jason Pitra, who is talking about After the War, his game that is currently kickstarting right now from his company Genesis of Legend. We have a great time. Uh, we chat about a lot of really cool stuff. And towards the end, we get into some really, really interesting stuff. I'm going to drop as many links as I can to the references he has. You may want to have Google open for this one, folks. Um, so thanks for listening. Enjoy. And I'll see you on the other side of the lounge. So, so what you were saying was um, when you created your first game, you felt like at that point you had reached apprentice level. Uh, yes, yeah, so that was my work of apprenticeship to show that I had learned the fundamentals. Okay. And it was the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. I had successfully produced my first game, which was Spark. Okay. Um, I printed it. It was in my hands. It was amazing because it was the first thing I had made. Um, but I, I've learned a lot since then. And every project has been a, hey, let's see how I can push myself and go further. Um, so no matter what, everyone is a game designer. Okay. It just depends on where they are on that journey. And that's they're close to the start, middle, or end. Yeah. I mean, maybe there there, there may even be some people that that have that that untapped level, but maybe are just kind of on the periphery, you know. Uh, appending other game designers saying, Hey, here's a neat thing you can do. Um, but it's funny cause I, I don't, I've never really known how to classify myself cause I have produced a game and, um, I didn't print it. I mean, I printed it a few times, but I produced a PDF of a really cheap game. Um, but being Which able to the best way to do it. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I feel like I can say that, you know, that's that might maybe that's my apprentice work. And and, you know, if I do more then that's me learning the craft, I like that a lot. Um, this this venue has given me the opportunity to talk with some really brilliant, uh, really brilliant game designers um, and, and who all have very different approaches. Um, what's your what's at this point? in your career, what's your general approach to designing a game? So fundamentally, the way that I approach designing games is I focus on three things. Mm -hmm. One, what is the um, fundamental premise um sort of the setting what is the thing that i'm trying to deal with fictionally sure second what are the what is the single sharpest mechanic that would fit into that particular setting Mm. and reflect that setting and three what are the kinds of conversations i'm trying to foster around the table where are those hard choices where the mechanics don't address them and you have to actually um as humans sitting around the table really think about it okay um which is functionally the fruitful void from vincent and mcgay baker okay um it it's what is your game about uh so as a completely selfish example um as we're chatting here uh this evening in the lounge <laughs> uh i'm currently kickstarting my game after the war mm-hmm. this is a mimetic science fiction horror game um i actually designed it based on the principle that i was using my old game spark as the foundation and how would i do horror with this it's uh, Spark is a game about challenging and confronting your beliefs. So I was trying to find a way. How do you get a high agency game that is horror? Um, 
so it turned into a game of uh, dealing with mimetic viruses that brainwash people and they don't even know. So it's the personal horror of having your identity changed out from under you. Um, so I established that uh, fiction in collaboration with my partner, um, Alistair Stewart, on the project. Mm -hmm. And that gave a really solid foundation of um, the hybrid of science fiction and post-apocalyptic with a touch of uh, Western uh, in there for flavor. Okay. So it's building amidst the ruins uh, of a galactic society. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of the fictional side of things. The mechanical side of things is that uh, in this game, all of your characters have beliefs. Okay. And during play, if the GM wins a conflict, they can concede. Just give whatever they uh, were struggling over to the pl players. And then take their character sheet and wordsmith one of their beliefs. Huh. Uh, so, uh, let's say law brings peace is someone's belief. Okay. The horrible tormenta might say that uh, uh, laws uh, bring um, imprisonment. Okay. And suddenly this character who was saying that laws are awesome and are great uh, is now chafing against those laws and saying, no, they're just, a, they're just oppressive systems. Huh. Uh, and their companions over there are starting to notice that their friend is starting to act real weird. <laughs> huh. Which, uh, and all of these mimetic infections go worse and worse uh, until people go in a really messy place. Uh, think space cultists or reavers from Firefly. Okay. And that's when, when I think of like uh, a mimetic mem uh, virus, that's immediately the place that I would go. You would be the reavers from Firefly. Um, uh, you can also go the reapers from mass effect. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's a versatile concept. Yeah. Oh, I never really thought of that. Um, or the Borg. Or the Borg. Um, I mean, the Borg are, are the... It, wouldn't they be more the replacement of an idea with... Uh, it, so the severe level of um, the medic infection is either you join the hive mind of the song, which is the alien force from beyond the stars that mm -hmm. uh, spreads through sound, uh, or you join one of the packs of the Tormenta and you turn into this mutated killer murder monster. Um, so either way is bad. We <laughs> created Tormenta to try to deal with the song. Okay. Okay. Because they, yeah. Um, yeah. That's really, so that's, yeah. So that's the mechanic that I used um, to fit into the setting. Okay. Was... And then I made the conversation. Okay. Okay. The, the conversation that I want to actually have is how do communities of people try to live, grow, and maintain themselves when the members of that community uh, are all dealing with their own forms of trauma. That, everyone, okay. everyone in the setting, 10 years, the galactic war was 10 years ago mm -hmm. and the millions of survivors are trying to rebuild on this alien planet. Okay. Uh, so everyone's seen some shit. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's a lot of 
people who are dealing with heavy issues and trying to build a positive community when everyone has their own pain points sure. and their own fears and worries and hopes for the future. That's a hard thing. And I wanted to give people practice and an opportunity to learn how to do that. It, it sounds a little bit like, like, um, like about, about, uh, gaming, uh, dealing with trauma a little bit. Like, yep. yeah. Like the idea of, you know, it's, it's pushed aside. Um, and that's an interesting, it's interesting that we're having this conversation right now. Um, as we're speaking, uh, uh, Early this morning, like super early this morning, um, we took my mother-in-law's dog to be put to sleep. Oh, I'm sorry. It's it's okay. I mean, you know, it's it well, and that's one of the things that kind of. I mean, that's why it's a little bit ironic. I mean, not ironic. I don't know. There's there's another term for it. Um, and I, and I did lose some sleep last night, which so so terms may not come to me immediately. <laughs> um, but uh, the like I've dealt with that a lot in my life, um, whereas my wife and her mother have not. That was the first time they've ever had to put an animal to sleep. Right. Um, and it was interesting for me seeing how the trauma that I've addressed about that in the in the past helped to kind of. Uh, 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 like I could leverage that to help them through their dealing with it at the time. Right. Um, but then like in the aftermath, you know, now I'm at a point where I'm like, Oh, I don't even know what to tell them to do next. <laughs> Cause I don't know, you know, how healthy I've dealt with it myself. Uh, um, so that, so it sounds like this is the you, you after the war is basically just telling the story of, you know, this is how everybody who's kind of been through this similar trauma m tries to, to heal from it together. Yeah. And where are the places where people's trauma rubs against each other? Okay. Um, so, at this specific point in time in geopolitics, there's a lot of communities that are having a very rough time of it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these communities are hurting yeah. and are often rubbing against each other because their own, their own issues and concerns are so significant. Mm -hmm. um, and they sort of dominate the discourse. So, I wanted to help give tools for us to sort of back away from places where multiple people's pain is um, running into each other's um, mm -hmm. trauma and exacerbating things and trying to give people the skills necessary to better address those kinds of situations. I I ascribe to uh, Ralph Koster's uh, theory of fun as one of my core design principles. And uh, for those listeners who may not be aware of this particular uh, book, the thesis that's presented within it is that uh, learning and fun are interwoven. Mm-hmm. You will have fun if you are learning. You will learn if you are having fun. Uh, if something is too easy, you are not learning. You are not challenged. And therefore, you're not having fun. It's just rote um, going through the motions. Conversely, if it's too hard, then you're struggling against it. You're not having fun. You're not learning. It just has to be at the right level of complexity 
um, so that you're both being challenged mm -hmm. and being forced to grow and you get the adrenaline rush of, I learned a thing. So that's a core principle for all of my games. So that's why for this particular game, that is the lesson, that's the skill set that I'm trying to help people develop so that they have fun in the game. Yeah. And I'm trying to make sure that the game is fun so that they learn these skills. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. That's such a great a great approach to to uh, to, to to building a game. Um you know, to, to kind of help build a, a skill that, that, that it, surprisingly large amount of people lack entirely. Um, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, given that it's, it's hard to go through life without having, I am, I would imagine, I don't know. Um, but I imagine it's hard to go through life without having encountered really any traumatic events. Um, and the, if you've if you've dealt with trauma, then you need to uh, you need to sort of address that in some way, um, or you ignore it and let it build up, and it comes out sideways and corrupts ideas. Um, which kind of sounds like that's another thematic thing in, in this. Ding ding. Yeah. Okay. If you internalize, you have problems. Yeah. If you express, it is a healthier way to handle things. I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm having fun and learning right now. <laughs> that was my goal for this game. Yeah. That we were playing right now. I like that. Um, it's, it's a podcast and a game, everybody. Simultaneously. Enjoy. Woo. Woo. Um, is that the kind of pr approach that you look with, with every game, like trying to, to, uh, uh, have a have a lesson um or have an element of a lesson yeah i i'm trying there's a linguistic challenge with lesson in that there's sort of this connotation of superiority and moralizing mm -hmm. whereas i'm trying to encourage conversations okay um, I don't have a predetermined answer, but I want to give put people in a space where they have to think about issues. Um, because a lesson, uh, no one likes being told what, what to think, but they do like being given the opportunity to explore ideas. Mm -hmm. um, my first game, Spark, was a game whose thesis was what if we were in a magical, wonderful world where uh, people would look at uh, their belief systems, um, examine evidence for and against, and then make uh, reasonable decisions on if those beliefs hold true? This is not how the real world works. No, but it would be it would be nice. <laughs> I mean. That sounds wonderful. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that was my uh, first game. My second game, Posthuman Pathways, is a game about uh, making people discover what they will sacrifice um, in the name of adapting to a increasingly alien future. Okay. It's a transhumanist post-human game. And uh, in this one, all of your characters have four things. A vision, something that they're desperate to gain. Uh, an identity that they're desperate to keep. A uh, ritual uh, that they're desperate to maintain. And a... Oh... Uh, Vision, ritual, identity, and uh, st uh, status that they're desperate to gain. Okay. So effectively, these are the four things you want most in the world. And you go through three scenes. It's a three-player game. So each person will go through three scenes. And in each scene, 
they are sacrificing one in favor of another. Hmm. So by the time they're done with their last scene, uh, where their character has gone from youth to old age, they have sacrificed three quarters of their character. Um, but whatever's left over is what mattered most to them in the world. Yeah. Uh, so it's about the uh, person who sacrificed their career mm -hmm. uh, and sacrificed the potential immortality in order to take care of their daughter and maintain um, the ritual of going out for long walks um, at dusk with their daughter. Huh. That's uh, that's a, and that was recognized by the Ennies, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. That one, uh, one uh, judges uh, spotlight. Nice. Um, it, it, I mean, I feel like, if it, like I, I guess I feel like if I played more of your games, um, I'd be fast tracking myself towards enlightenment. Um, <laughs> and, um, I'm not going to ask if that's true. I, I'm assuming you don't know, uh, unless you do, um, which would be really cool. Oh, I, there is no enlightenment coming from here <laughs> beyond what is within yourself. Um, I, I am but a mirror. Oh. Um, <laughs> So, um, yeah, so I did that. Then I did SIG, which is a game about how cities change and with waves of uh, new communities overtaking old communities mm -hmm. and the issues of how family, faith, and politics intersect with effectively... Um, newcomers coming to the city with their own needs, worries, and concerns and conflicting subcultures between these different communities. Um, so that's what SIG was about. I've already talked about After the War. Mm -hmm. um, I have two other games that are in development, one of which is Fate of the Galaxy, which is a game about galactic leadership. Um, where it's all about um, finding the balance between your authority and your responsibility mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. how to be a, a good leader. When do you put your personal needs aside in favor of the greater good? When do you take care of yourself and the reasons why you are acting? Uh, why you take care of your family and your home system, etc. Uh, and then I have my hardest and most terrifying project, which is Circles of Power. Uh, which is my game of social justice wizards. Uh, and it is a game powered by the apocalypse mm -hmm. where you... Um, in this game, you're trying to deal with issues of intersectionality, those really messy, hard issues um, where there's no easy answer and to make people think a bit of, about it more critically. Um, it's also about activism and the role of activism and the role of violence. Um, when do you defend an oppressive a uh, cruel society against an even worse uh, enemy that could take it down. Hmm. That's a, uh, wow. That's a big question. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I feel Jason that that's that you like, like you like to, to tackle those big questions. Pretty much. Uh, games are art. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as art, I mean, art, art should be used to, to, uh, make us better. Um, I've, I've always firmly believed that I didn't lose you. Did I? Nope. Nope. Okay. Um, sorry. 
I was maneuvering around and uh, pulled out the headphone. So, um, kind of. But, um, so, like, how, how did how did you get started with with playing games? Uh, so I started playing games back in the, uh, uh, end of D&D second ed days. Okay. But I started on, uh, RuneQuest. Okay. And basic, uh, D&D off of, from one of my, uh, my first GM who was a classicist. Uh, he was, uh, nowadays, I would refer to him as OSR. Okay. But back then, he just liked playing the original games. Mm-hmm. So he was running First Ed, D&D, Call of Cthulhu, that kind of thing. Um, uh, he, he's never done Tunnels and Trolls for us, but uh, that's sort of a, of his ilk. Um, so... Uh, I started way back then, then frantically, uh, started, uh, wanting to run my own campaign, mm-hmm. running a second ed D and D campaign in a homebrewed world. Um, and actually the start of my publication career was way back then. Really? Um, yep. Because I joined up with D&D 2nd Edition just as 3rd Edition was coming out. (laughs) Which meant I had the entire bloody back catalog of all of D&D 2nd Ed. So obviously, being the precocious teenager, (laughs) so clearly I just need to acquire all of the content and then organize it, go through it, identify what are the kits that I will allow, mm-hmm. what are the rules that I will use, and I'll just compile it. So I made four binders. The Book of uh, Warriors, the Book of Priests, the Book of uh, <laughs> Wizards, and the Book of Thieves, or Rogues, I forget which one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like, oh, I'm just going to grab everything from uh, the player books, the random adventures, uh, random aids, and I'm just going to like take 15 years worth of publication history and try to distill it into something usable. Um, huh. Note, the line editors for 2nd Ed D&D should have kept a tighter rein because some of the stuff really didn't fit. Um, It was uh, inconsistent. Yeah. Uh, But so I went through and I compiled it all. And I even made my own um, Pantheon, like 38 deity Pantheon, because I was a precocious teenager. Yeah. And I wanted to do it right. Yeah, I, uh, I, I have, I've, I have, a, I had a similar experience with second edition, but I started to put in, like, I saw Spelljammer and I'm like, that's pretty cool. I like Spelljammer. And then I saw Planescape and I was like, that's pretty cool. I'm going to put those two together <laughs> and yep. do all the things. Yep. That sounds fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that sounds like a huge and kind of awesome project. Is that a thing that people can find? Oh, uh, no. No, okay. No. Yeah. Um, it's also terrible. Like, the quality <laughs> on it is not something I am proud of. Fair enough. Uh, it is a thing that a teenager made. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and it's also all sorts of copyrighted material. Of course. Uh, but, uh, that led me to learn a lot of the basic skills Mm -hmm. and i realized that i liked doing it Mm -hmm. 
now did you did you mostly come up on D D or were there other games that you were playing at the time? Uh D D Rifts. Okay. Uh then I moved up to the White Wolf ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um and I spent about a decade um deeply immersed in White Wolf. Yeah. Uh specifically uh Mage the Ascension, yes. Demon the Fallen. Uh, and Mage the Awakening and Promethean. Okay. Um, I was actually r- helping to run a White Wolf forum called uh, Shadow and Essence way back in the day. Okay. And um, I don't even know if it's still around. Um, it's had some server problems. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I spent a lot of time in that space. So that's where I learned that freelancers were people that mm-hmm. existed. Uh, I met a few of them. Uh, and I was looking at games more critically. Uh, I started working on a little fan production called The Demon Project uh, with a good friend of mine, uh, who fortunately were still friends. Uh, I'm shocked that we're still friends uh, <laughs> because it was a challenging project. Um, and it was, uh, so for any listeners who may not be aware of Demon the Fallen in that it's been out of print for a decade. Yeah, I was going to say um, 10 years now. Or more? Yeah. Um, oh, more, isn't it? Oh, I'm feeling my age. Uh, <laughs> so Demon the Fallen was an old World of Darkness, uh, game, uh, from way back when. Which, um, you're all playing demons in the modern age, but there's always links back to this prehistory, um, that is a sort of Babylonian war between angels and devils kind of thing, and it was a fascinating time period, uh, full of, um, epic battles and people fighting with metaphor uh like met <laughs> words were being forged into metaphorical swords and people were stabbing each other with them like there was a lot of really interesting stuff going on back then uh all of the angels were different aspects of creation who were slow and half of them were just slowly corrupting hmm. um it, it was really interesting. So we decided, hey, let's design that game. And then let's also design all the powers. Let's account for the time frame. Let's make sure that our rules are all are compatible between the modern game and the old one. Uh, so I started playtesting that, um, learned a few things. Uh, I made my biggest mistakes there. Mm-hmm. And um, when that mothballed, I dove into actually designing Spark, my first real game. That's that's like it sounds like it sounds like you kind of immersed yourself in 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 stratifying the materials that other creators had before you said, "Yeah, I'm gonna do my own thing," and you know. <laughs> have full control over it and, and everything. Um, yeah. Cause when I mean, I discovered the forge at a certain point and yeah. that was helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can imagine that would be when you said you, you tried to make it compatible with, with the modern system. White Wolf didn't always worry too much about making things. I uh, know. <laughs> so no. it was a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, but, it was it taught me skills mm-hmm. um and there there were even some good nuggets in there mm-hmm. uh a handful of things that i actually still like but yeah <laughs> yeah yeah well i i think that that happens sometimes you 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 look at something you've done and you're like oh you know can i reconfigure this uh uh make this you know, something worthwhile. And, um, the, one of the skills I've learned just in life and, and in being creative is when to throw those things out 
um, and one to not be precious about it. Um, but, and, and just look at it as, as a learning experience. Um, but it sounds like, it sounds like you had a really cool experience. It, also, I've never talked with anybody this much about Demon the Fallen. Um, cause I feel like most people by then were like, yeah, I'm not playing these games anymore. So, um, that's, I ran uh, a three year campaign. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, you ran Prometheus too. I was fascinated uh, by Prometheus. I, I loved it. I never got a chance to actually run it. Oh, okay. But I loved it and bought the full si- series because yeah. it's, yeah, it's it's delightful. Um, and there's some really good mechanics in there. Yeah. Like the milestones for Promethean are delightful. Interesting. Um, like there, that's the thing with the White Wolf. They had some really good mechanical nuggets hiding in there. Oh, they had a template, they had a core structure, but there were a lot of really interesting things going on there. Um, Wraith, the Oblivion, Mm -hmm. had um, with the uh, like the shadow storyteller, Mm -hmm. um, that is. That is a fascinating mechanic that I've seen pop up here and there in different forms. Uh, the milestones, um, the corruption system in Demon the Fallen was great. Mm-hmm. The freeform magic system in Mage the Awakening was brilliant. Something I've never um, really seen reproduced to that degree. I, uh, I you get a bit of that actually in Nobilis. Okay. Oh, really? Uh, Nobilis is a fantastic game on that end um, because functionally you're all playing aspects of reality. Oh, okay. Uh, so you can, it, it, there's a lot of like, I'm going to massage how I'm going to be the uh, aspect of corners. So therefore I'm going to find corner, I'm going to be invisible because I'm in the corner of your eye. Ooh. So okay. like, like you get the mage the ascension feel off uh-huh. of that. I like um, that a lot. I like that a lot. It's um, I've I've been playing with the the design of a game, um, with uh with that misdirected Mark is doing, and I've been just kind of play testing it. And one of the things that I wanted to do is translate try translating other systems into it. Um, and <clears throat> handed it off to the players that I, that I play with on a regular basis and said, you know, here you go. This is what, these are terms that are in these character classes for Pathfinder basically, but you can take these as aspects and you can kind of define them the way you want to. Um, and I thought it was an interesting experiment. Uh, I, it did not go super great. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I thought, you know, what if you just went through a Pathfinder class, took the, the specific terms that they use, and then put that in a pile and said, you define what this is for your character and how that works. Um, it's something I'd like to try again, but it's um, it's interesting to see I, I, knowing that Nobilis kind of has that element to it uh, is kind of fascinating to me. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful book. It's uh, a bit of a challenge okay. to get through, yeah. but um, the the prose is rather thick. Um, the GM is called the Hollyhock God, <laughs> um, which is brilliant and delightful. I like that. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. So that that's a good one to take a look at. Huh. Um, there's also a bit of that in unknown armies in different ways. Um, particularly if you make custom adepts, which I do because I'm a masochist. <laughs> um, although I'll try to avoid turning this into a let me tell you about my character. <laughs> um, I've because considered- I could do that. 
I've considered lately, I've considered doing a spinoff podcast. Um, there's, there is a podcast that's let, let me tell you about my character, but I've considered doing a spinoff talking where people talk about their character, the best death they've had of a character. Right. Um, and like a 15 minute, I don't know. Um, I don't know if anybody would listen to it, though. but, but everybody has a story like that. Uh, oh, of course. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. There's a part of me that, that I, th- I think that, it, that let me tell you about my character would be just a joy to do. Um, oh yeah. But you know, um, the, at the same time, then, uh, <laughs> there are those times where I, I feel the eyes glaze over as I'm talking and I just like, no must stop. You can't sometimes brain doesn't let you. Um, what are you playing now besides your stuff? That is the peril of the game designer. Yeah. Uh, not enough. Yeah. I am playtesting. I am either playtesting my things or I'm playtesting other people's things. Um, I am also being extremely bullish right now and working on three games simultaneously, which is a bad idea. Um, (laughs) <laughs> That's why I'm trying to get after the war funded so I can stop working on this one and only have two really hard games to design and publish. Um, so I just finished a campaign of After the War mm-hmm. uh, and I'm running another one for the fine folks at the Gauntlet. Um, so uh, the first session is now available on YouTube. Very cool. Uh, where we did all of the world building. So that was fun. Um, but I've been doing that. Uh, I just came back from Metatopia, which was delightful. Um, and there was just so many brilliant games there that I was able to um, help play test or the like. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but I just fundamentally the designing and publishing games mm-hmm. comes from the same time allotment as the playing games. Yeah. Um, which is a real challenge. Yeah. Um, I also finished a campaign of um, Apocalypse World second edition, which was a delight as usual. Apocalypse World is super fun. Any, anything I powered by apocalypse has really changed the way that I look at games altogether it just has um, but uh, I'm I'm actually obsessing a little bit over circles of power as I as I you know as you talk I take down notes and I'm looking at this going I want to play this really badly um, because it's a powered by apocalypse game and I know it would be you know you read through it you kind of find people that are interested in it, which is the thing I keep running into as a hurdle. But, yeah, I need to play more Gauntlet stuff. That's that's for both you and for Jason, who was on my podcast. Um, yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, the fine folks of the Gauntlet are kind of amazing, so that's, I'm yeah. very happy um to be uh, part of that community yeah and part of the misdirected mark community on a whole yeah thing. um right i know um yeah there's there you and i are both kind of like well i'm i feel like i'm more peripheral in some um i eventually just wedged my way into misdirected mark by saying i'm good doing interviews <laughs> <laughs> um which is you know it's only partially true. I'm I'm good at having conversations with people. Um, but, uh, you know, we have fun. Um, is So, after the war, literally just... I mean, launched yesterday, was it? Yep. Is, is yesterday it? morning. As um, we're so, recording. Yeah, so two to three days before this, this drops. Um and I, I know for a fact that it wasn't that it's not your first um, <laughs> Kickstarter. 
Uh, uh, that is an accurate statement. <laughs> um, um, I know you did SIG. What else did you did you do? Uh, so I did, uh, looking at my profile, uh, I have done uh, Spark. Yeah. Uh, which was a pretty decent success. Post-Human Pathways, which barely funded. Uh, SIG the City Between, mm-hmm. which was a supplement for Spark which I then upgraded to SIG Manual of the Primes, uh, which is the shiniest book on the market. Uh, and I don't mean this figuratively. I mean this literally. It, it has a metallic uh, foil on the cover that means that you can signal passing planes. It's delightful. <laughs> um, uh, and now I've got After the War, which I'm currently trying to fund. I also was a contributor um, and layout monkey for uh, Noir World. Okay. Uh, by John Adamus. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've that shows up on my record. That. Um, yeah, yeah, and I've learned layout over the years. So yeah. now I'm doing layout, apparently. <laughs> I, I feel like that's a thing. I feel like it, like I've done layout for like corporate projects and stuff like that. I feel like I should probably start learning game layout simply because that's a thing that people seem to always need. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I enjoy being needed. Maybe that's <laughs> um, interviews are needed. Yeah, that's exactly. Um, it's well, you know, it's fun to, to talk to people who are in this industry and get the different points of view and, you know, the different uh, philosophies on it and different life experiences and everything, too. You know, I mean, I think we all came to gaming um, and, and found something that was missing from from someplace else, you know, um, personally. I know that I never had sports brain and but but I, I threw some dice down and and played some Marvel superheroes uh, uh, basic edition and the next thing you knew like that's that's what the thing I was doing um, do you feel like that's maybe like like do you do you what are the elements uh, that that uh, that gaming is kind of um, giving you creativity. Uh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, my day job is weird as well. Like okay. to be clear, I am weird. Um, <laughs> as a day job i'm a wildlife biologist slash bureaucrat whoa um which is a heck of a multi-class um so um i'm fairly certain that it's actually a dual class i gave up the wildlife biology in favor of paperwork but i I do that for my nine to five Mm -hmm. and then i wound up um diving into publishing mm-hmm. and game design because um for those who have not worked in a bureaucratic uh science environment change is slow and hard to come by and there's a lot of approvals that are involved so the ability to you know what i'm just gonna casually sign a contract with an artist and tell the artist what i want them to draw and then it's going to show up in two weeks and then i'll pay them uh that same process in my day job would take eight levels of approval (laughs) uh and probably three months yeah i can do that by email yeah (laughs) And give money to smart, creative people to make beautiful things. That's wonderful. That's such a great 
thing to say. How? Don't, yeah. I hope you don't mind me saying, I feel like you're just a really great person, Jason. Oh, you're far too kind. <laughs> um, but that's that's such a nice a nice way to put it. And and I, I can understand that. Like, you know, I work in a, a corporate environment as well with where and for me it's it there's definitely a creativity aspect of it. Um, it's always interesting that you'll see that like when you look at, at people who play games or, or interact with games or design games that, that don't do it as their full-time gig, um, you know, either they're doing it as kind of the opposite of what they do during the day, or it supplements nicely what they do during the day. It, it, you know, or I guess supplement is, it's kind of along the same lines. So it sounds to me like you basically said, Hey, if I do game design, I don't have to deal with the thing that frustrates me about my job. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. I like that. And it, it also, if I may add, um, the, the, the books that you've designed are, are gorgeous too. So it's, Oh, thank you. It sounds you're like kind. you're, um, you know, the, the, the work you're doing to, to do this. I'm, I've never seen a physical copy of SIG manual of the primes, but now I really want to. Uh, so it's the same rough form factor as Blades in the Dark. Okay. Um, it's just, um, very colorful and shiny, uh, for a front cover. And there's, uh, I'm proudest of the edge, the page edges. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you actually look at the edges of the pages, uh, it's actually a rainbow with each chapter color coded. That's so cool. Um, so yeah, that is a thing. I I decided that I was printing in color, and then I said, "Whoa, I'm printing in color. Let's abuse this." <laughs> uh, so yeah, I've got a shiny rainbow book. Um, that is the size of Blades in the Dark. That's okay. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. That's I love I love that idea of like, well, if I'm going to print in color, I guess I'm going to print in all the color. That's uh, just all the color. That's pretty cool. Color is delightful to play with. It's just super expensive as a publisher. Yeah. Um, that's why after the war is going to be black and white and more <laughs> affordable. So, um, well, it's very exciting. Uh. I will make sure, of course, all the links uh, are, are in the show notes and everything. Um, I just, uh, well, we've kind of, well, we're wrapping up. Um, are there any ideas um, that you've kind of just said, ah, this is just never going to happen? Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, Are there any that quitting you my day job? <laughs> quitting my day job is one of them. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, it's um. I would love to. I mean, a lot of us would love to design games that are actually making a more meaningful difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there was a crew of brilliant designers who actually did some game design in, I believe it was Kenya years back and, uh, educating, uh, usually, uh, girls about, uh, reproductive health through games and things like that are amazing, but I don't, I am not at the level where I could do that. Mm -hmm. So I'm mostly sitting on the sidelines. Um, But uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I wish um, because I'd like to make a really meaningful difference like that. Yeah. So 
That's, I mean, that's amazing because when I look at your library, I, I think that you are, you are, are, are still pushing some really, uh, 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 positive, open-minded concepts, um, as, as part of that, uh, as, as part of like your, your design philosophy. Um, so it's for you to hear you say, yeah, I really like to do something super meaningful. Um, and of course that, that is like, like that's, uh, that's extraordinary. Um, uh, that's, uh, that's a really impressive, that's a really impressive thing to hear. Um, I suspect that a good portion of the designers out there, um, are, feeling the same way and had the same hopes. Yeah. It's just that it's hard to look that far ahead. Right. Right. Um, I mean, some, one of my uh, good friends, Fraser Ronald, he, he designs games as an escape mm -hmm. as to bring joy and recreation for folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. Like that, that is his goal. He wants to make games that are fun. that get your, uh, mind off of the daily challenges, um, that people are facing. Mm -hmm. By contrast, I make sad games, um, <laughs> sad games about sacrifice and hard emotions and social turmoil. Um, I've learned a lot from Jason Morningstar. Uh, <laughs> oh, um, one other game that I didn't even mention that I should just mention because it's free online is my game uh, Lonely Timbers, which is a game about historical lumberjacks. Okay. And absolutely no subtext. Nope. <laughs> there's no subtext there. <laughs> so... I okay. <laughs> um I have a weird obsession with uh golden age comic books. Um and not the good ones. Oh, the terrible ones. The terrible ones. Um and there's a guy named Fletcher Hanks who's known as like the weirdest comic book creator of the golden age. Um Oh, well, that's saying something. It's, it is saying something. And then you read some of the stuff that he's done and it's, it's just crazy. But one of his characters was a lumberjack named Big Red McLean. And yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. And he just went around beating everybody up. And it was, and it, it, like, I, I, I will, I will sit down. I have both of the books that collect all of, uh, uh, Hank's stuff and I will sit down and just read those stories because there is this underlying story that I can't determine if it's purposeful or not. <laughs> um, so so I imagine that 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 your lack of subtext is probably similar uh, to that. Um, those are all public domains, so if you ever uh, quite want possibly, to, yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think those would be. Um, heck, oh yeah! If anybody out there wants to uh, to download Lonely Timbers and and wants some good source material, I feel like you could download the Big Red McLean comics. And there you're, there's your, your whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you can probably toss a link in show notes to Lonely Timbers because oh, it's free. 100%. Um, fantastic. Um, can I abuse your soapbox for one moment? 100%. This is your time. I would like to give a shout out to some up and coming designers okay um that people haven't heard about yet but people will hear about soon mm -hmm. um so the igdn 
uh, sponsorship winners from Metatopia 2018 mm -hmm. uh, are uh, Jabari Weathers, Iris Z, Mabel Harper, Sam Seltiel, um, uh, David Collins, Miriam Ahmed, and Omari Akil. And they are all amazing folks. Uh, oh, and I, I'm fairly certain uh, DC is supposed to be in here as well. Um, uh, Dungeon Commander, who's working oh. on um, uh, Mutants in the Night. Uh, so, um, yeah, so these are some amazing designers who are doing some great work and they are going to be sitting in my chair in a year from now. <laughs> um, so I want people to, to take a look at that yeah. and watch out for them. That's fantastic. Um, wow. That's a, that's a really, that's a really cool thing. I, I'll put a, a link in the show notes to, uh, to the IGDN page as well. Um, I mean, I just yep. throw uh, and all their names are featured there, I believe, uh, as well as on the Metatopia page. Uh, and uh, oh yes, and um, of course, I can't forget the person that I'm mentoring, uh, Alistair Guzman. All right, um, who's actually hacking Spark uh, for his current game? Really, which is humbling. Yeah. Ah. What do you do? Yep. You want to talk um, Mexican urban fantasy. Oh, that's um, that yeah. sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, it really does. So yeah, I just wanted to steal the soapbox to say that these folks are awesome, and you're going to be seeing a lot of work from them uh, in the coming years. Um, one of them, um, Sam uh, Saltiel is actually one of the uh, contributors on After the War. Okay. Uh, so if you look on the project, there's like a, a bird-like alien. That's actually her. Oh, really? Uh, yep. Uh, so, uh, yeah, she's uh, one of the fine folks who was contributing to the project. And, uh, yeah, quality work and... She's designing a brilliant game uh, right now, which I believe is called Passing, uh, which is about 1950s aliens. Uh, and I, uh, there's a lot more to it. Huh. Um, so, yeah. Watch out for all of their brilliant projects. I, I mean, like, I'm like, first of all, I would give any creator who comes on my or any anybody that comes on uh uh this podcast the time to plug whatever they want to um can i just say that uh, personally i appreciate you plugging a list of names that i can reach out to and get interviews for <laughs> i feel like you just covered my 2019 <laughs> of course that's amazing um well, Jason, this has been a great conversation. I've had a lot of fun. Um, I would happily, I mean, okay, full disclosure, I do say this to every guest, but I have great guests. Um, but but if ever you want to just come on and, and chat about anything, um, I'm always happy to do that. Uh, I, can, I can always put out special episodes if I feel like it or whatever. Um, so uh, I'd, I'd like to talk about really anything else that you're doing because um, now I'm just obsessing over all your projects. Um, uh, thank you very much. And yeah, it would be lovely to chat again at yeah. some point in the future. Yeah, definitely. And of course, uh, I'd love to sit down at a table with you or virtually or otherwise um, at some yeah, point. Yeah, and that is a thing that we should do at some point in time. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I got to pay more attention to the stuff that's going on on the gauntlet <laughs> because I, I keep on I, every time I've done something on there, I've had a great time. So, uh, oh, yeah, but uh, yeah, thanks so much, Jason, for coming on. Now, um, I close the show by telling all the lounge lizards out there to 
to, to stay classy. Um, and would you care to do the honors for me? Absolutely. Well, for all the listeners, stay classy. And you did. You stayed classy. Because you're always classy. I can tell. Um, I want to thank Jason for coming on. Full disclosure, I wasn't entirely certain how to say his last name, and it's too late to ask him that right now, so uh, I hope he got it right. But um, but spelled right. I know that. Um, check the show notes for all the information on him. You can follow him on Twitter at Genesis of Legend. Uh, genesisoflegend.com is the website and check out After the War which is right now on Kickstarter I want to thank uh, I want to thank you for coming by um, I also want to thank some patrons for Misdirected Mark um, I actually want to thank three specific people uh, who have become my friends Thanks to Misdirected Mark. Scott Robinson, the Duke of Dimensional Paradox. Eric Bontz, the Duke of Gators. And the wonderful Eileen Barnes, the Duchess of Pandas Talking Games. Um, I'm always going to try to do something different with thanking people, but these are just three wonderful people that I've managed to have the great pleasure of encountering and meeting because I get to do this. I also want to mention a uh, another show, Cypher Speak. Cypherspeak podcast is it's an engaging discussion that covers the evocative and inclusive settings of the Cypher system. Darcy and Troy are entertaining co-hosts who offer GM advice and ideas to use in your games. It's a great podcast. Just check it out. It's great fun. Um, also, uh, go check out the links in there. Um, go check out IGDN and the, the prospects. Prospects. That's the not the right way to put it. It's a totally different thing, but go check that out. I also want to thank my wonderful wife, who was willing to step in for me when I was seemed to not have much of a voice earlier. Um, I can feel it a little bit scratching, but um, that's okay. Um, and uh, what you're listening to right now is actually artificial music. And so it begins. It's used under Creative Commons 3.0. This has been a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. And I'll see you next time on The Lounge. <laughs>